and welcome back to the second part of my podcast with Tessa Morton talking about autism and I'm not going to faff around we're just going to jump straight back in where we left off so I hope you find this useful and actually from a teaching perspective creating that safe base it's a difficult thing to do isn't it in a in a busy classroom that's a big ask what what can teachers do that would or or if parents you know haven't been lucky enough to have you and Jane come in and talk to their staff what what hints can they give to uh teachers that will help the the child the school environment is a minefield because also you're starting with does the school have an autism understanding first up so if the child feels that the school generally understands autism that will make them feel secure so if the, if it, if autism is talked about if if teachers acknowledge that autism exists i mean i know that sounds crazy to think but i've been into some schools where teachers will say well all children behave like that and you're going to go okay we're starting at base level here so if the school is autism friendly that's great you need to find somebody in the school that the child feels safe with and the child needs to be able to have access to that person now that might not be their form teacher it might not even be the senko but somebody at certain points in the day who will just be the check-in for that child. And once the relationship is established, it really does just have to be a check-in, like a thumbs up in the corridor or a I'm in room 2B if you want to come and see me. And we speak to children and they say if they know they've got one person who's a safe place that they can call on at any point, they often don't have to access that person. Mm -hmm. But when they feel isolated and nobody understands them and that becomes bigger and bigger in their head, even if... There is somebody, but they don't know how to access them. Then there's a lot of fallout and they school refuse. And, mm-hmm. and kids school refuse. I hate that word. Kids find it impossible. Because if you talk about school refusal, often my analogy is if I walk along to the end of the diving board, you know, the Tom Daly diving board, and I choose not to jump off, am I refusing not to jump off? Or am I just too scared to even contemplate jumping off? And I think when a child refuses to go to school, they're too scared to contemplate. They're not refusing. It's not even a conscious choice. But in a school, Jane, who's my partner, she was a teacher. And what she was able to do was witness the children that were struggling, not feeling connected. And she would just make them feel special by a look, by a, I like your shoes, by a, oh, did you see Doctor Who last night? She'd find out what their special interest was and she'd make a point of just what we call having a validation moment. She didn't want anything from them, but she would just do a check-in and she would make sure that she would check in with those children at least once a day, even if they weren't in her class, she'd find them. And once they'd moved on from her year group, she'd still go and find them. Then what she would do is she would make them know that she was a safe person by talking about somebody who was autistic or talking to them about her quirky ways. So of course she wasn't this almighty teacher who was infallible. Then they knew that they had a safe person to talk about themselves and to talk about their autism. Now, what happened to Jane was she got overloaded. She had too many kids coming to her. So she created that system within the school um, and it spread out. And that was a school that my son was at and Jane was my son's teacher, which is why we now have, I think, what is a very special relationship. It's not an easy ask for a school. You need a head that's on board with understanding and supporting autism. You need that to be filtered down. You need teachers to understand that sensory overload in the classroom is real, even Mm -hmm. though the child will look like they're being very compliant. Um, Safe spaces for the child to go to, whether it be a a room that's a sensory room or you're going to find this strange, but cupboards 
Mm -hmm. um, I was working with a group of children this week and we were talking about what's our weirdest coping strategy. And all the, the leaders on the team had to present theirs too. And um, there were quite a lot of common themes. Cupboards with pillows and darkness. And I suppose we all like being under the duvet, don't we? So mm. if you can create, create a safe space at school, I'm not suggesting you have a cupboard with pillows <laughs> and duvets, but that sense of calm, closed and safe yeah. really supports children. It's like almost a decompression chamber. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is if they, know, if they know there's a space to go, they often don't need to go. But also if they are allowed to go with no fuss, they go, it can be a 10 minute moment and they come back out. And it's really interesting. They will start to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. They don't need an adult to do it for them, probably more so than other children. Mm. Wow. So they're not, those are not drastically complicated strategies. No. I mean, you know, teaching is about relationships. I mean, there's often a self and hate, sorry, there's often a health and safety issue, unfortunately, for the younger age groups because yeah. you can't let a child, you know, in a secondary school, if you had a policy where the child had a card that they could take with them so that any other parent or teacher, sorry, any other teacher could ask them what they're doing. I think a lot of the problems you have is with their peers. Mm -hmm. Why are they getting that special treatment and not me? Mm -hmm. I always say, well, when we put ramps in a school, the kids without, you know, wheelchairs and broken legs don't presume they can go on the ramps. So it's about education. Um, we do a lot of work in schools where we get kids to experience sensory overload. Very simple exercises. We get teachers to experience sensory overload. And it's amazing when they've actually experienced it at a visceral level rather than a kind of intellectual level. And then we ask them questions. So we'll do an exercise where they have to do lots of different things. And then we'll ask them some very simple questions like, how do you spell Wednesday? Um, who's the Queen's oldest son? What day was it yesterday? They can't answer them. Mm -hmm. And they feel disempowered and incapacitated. And we say, well, that's what it feels like for somebody who's autistic. That's sensory overload. They really start to get it. And that creates a lot more empathy. Mm. And, and every every school is going to have children who yeah. are autistic, autistic within yeah. that. Well, because they're not intellectually impaired. They're no. very bright kids. I mean, yeah. there's a spectrum of intelligence, like with all our children. I mean, it is interesting that a lot of autistic kids in the right learning environment do seem to have quite acute intellect in certain areas. Mm. I'm not generalising, and I don't like to generalise, but in my experience, whether it be in art or maths or music or science, DT, they don't seem to have a broad spectrum of intellect, but they have a very focused. And if you can harness that, wow, you get amazing results. And mm. the child will be validated. Mm. And a lot of the things they're good at don't seem to come into their own until they're an adult. So, for instance, my son, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, loves music and is really, really good at music. But singing in the choir when he was seven was so painful for him because of the other children being out of tune that he couldn't access music till he was in senior school when he was singing with other people who could sing in tune. Mm. So the music talent was always there, but it wasn't played out until he could be with an adult peer group that could appreciate him and he could appreciate them. And you could see that, you know, if that frustration was coming through, it, that's going to impact on his relationships because the other kids think, well, you know, who are you to think that you're better than all of us? And, and you just go round and round yeah. and round in circles. It and, must be so frustrating. And as a parent, I'm taking him to choir every week because he's got a lovely voice and frustrated yeah. that he won't stay at choir yeah. and being frustrated that, you know, you're, as we do, you're so good at this. I mean, the same with um, science and DT. A lot of the children I work with, 
They won't go to science because they find it boring because they tell me they know more than they're allowed to study. Yeah. I don't know how we facilitate that in school where obviously there is a curriculum, there's a need for consistency, there is a need for linear progression, but we talk about autistic kids as having what we call a spiky profile, so they'll have a brilliance in one area. We might not even find what that is when they're seven, eight, nine, and areas where they're just not interested in. Yeah. But also a spiky relationship with progress. They'll be really flying in a certain area and then suddenly it'll come to a brick wall. But then again, there'll be another sp- spike later on. And yeah. it's trying to work with their rhythms because, as we all know, we just want validation and self-expression. And that could be in the way you love insects or it could be beautiful artwork or it could be the way you like to climb mountains. It, it, it's it's so in the child to have something of value and we've got to look for that nugget. But of course, the kids can't find it for themselves sometimes because they can't communicate. Yeah. And I talk a lot to parents about rather than saying you're so good at this, you enjoy this. Yeah. But of course, you know, if you're really good at music, but you're not enjoying it because the whole experience is miserable, there's a you're not going to keep going back, are you? And also you're going to be frustrated because mm. if that is your way to express yourself and you can't express yourself, you won't know why you're frustrated. And again, autism, unfortunately, will bring a lot of frustration to the child but it's not a frustration they can understand. Yeah. And then it gets layered upon layered upon layered. Uh, we talk about, uh, in our training, we have this kind of, this arrow, and at the end it's got aggression, isolation, defiance and withdrawal. And we say, this is the behaviour we witness. But if we go right back to the beginning of the arrow, it starts with overload and confusion. We have to help children understand their overload and we have to help them understand why they're confused. So we've got to stop adding to the overload by our confusion Mm -hmm. and what's wrong with this child and why aren't you doing this and it's a hard thing to understand because autism even at an expert level even at a neurological level people are still grappling to understand is it pure genetics is it something that happens in birth due to lack of oxygen is it environmental is it is it is it personality characteristic family background absolutely i mean i witnessed my son being very much like his father and me which has nothing to do with his autism so i have quite a chaotic personality (laughs) and my husband is very thoughtful um my son's chaos is exaggerated sometimes because of his autism because he can't organize himself at the last minute but also he's so over considerate he thinks about everybody's needs before him which again one might not consider as an autistic trait but it's because he can't regulate his consideration Mm. it will always be his fault it will always be he's always done it wrong and 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 that in his autistic brain can completely overwhelm him but i wouldn't want to change that because of course being chaotic and creative and considerate are fantastic qualities yeah if they're managed and if you can understand yourself as that person I mean, so autistic... self-esteem, it must be hard sometimes for them to maintain a healthy self, yeah, sense oh of goodness, self-esteem yeah. because I mean, you constantly seem to be doing the wrong thing in the wrong place and responding wrongly. And that's being fed back to you by your peer group, mm-hmm. by society for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, autism is much better valued now. I mean, we have great characters in the media. Mm. We've got people like Chris Packham and um, who's the lovely lady that won I'm a Celebrity not asking the right person here and Anne Hegarty from the chase Mm -hmm. who will say they're autistic but again some people don't like those role models because again it's all very good if you're in the media you're supported Mm. you know people in um, films they're always a bit quirky and geeky maybe you don't see yourself in that so the more 
representations in the media, the better. The more young people talking about their autism. And actually, the more that society can be curious. We always say, approach somebody who's autistic with absolute curiosity and care. Ask them, be sensitive to what they say. Um, the one thing I hate is when I used to talk about my son and people go, oh, my son's just like that. They think, no, they're not. Yeah. Um, oh, my son does that too. No, they, they don't because it's a different version of it. My yeah. son doesn't choose his behaviour. It comes over him. And this week we were talking to some of the young people about how it feels when they're having a bad day. And one of the lovely girls said, on a bad day, I'm very horrid to my friends. And I said, okay, what would you like to say to them if they were here? I want them to know I love them, even though I don't treat them well. And I just thought, wow, there's so many things going on for that young person at that moment. It's almost like it's an involuntary response to feeling yeah. unsafe. And then she's pushing away the very people she knows she needs to support her. Yeah. And if you think about that as a teenager, when every word you say on social media has so much oh, impact, yes. where friendships are the currency, mm -hmm. where identity and who I am is so important. And if the world around you is telling you, well, even if you choose to be autistic, you're wrong. <laughs> Um, then yeah, well, I'm not going to come out, am I? I'm not going to mm. say I'm autistic. We're trying to encourage kids to be out and proud. And the film we've made, which is on our website, which I'm more than happy to look at for any of your um, listeners, it's it's there for free use. Can put put the put the URL in then, Tessa. What is it? It's www.actforautism.co.uk, and the film is on there. It's also on YouTube. Act for Autism. We've just made another film which is talking about feelings, which I think might be really interesting to show your young people, actually. And mm -hmm. um, I work in a therapeutic practice, and often when I've got a young person just coming to terms with their diagnosis, I'll show them the film of 12 autistic kids talking, and one of the biggest responses, oh, there are other people like me, mm. which is, again... We all want to feel part yeah. of something, don't we? And they we? will Connected. have been the only person in their class, probably. They'll yeah. be the only person in their family, although... Often you see it running through families in different yeah. guises. They'll have been the only person in their street. They'll have been the only person in their family social group. They will have felt the outcast for a very, very long time. And it's not fair because it it, it is understandable that as parents we don't understand it. But there's no excuse now because there, there is a lot of really useful information out there. I always say to people, if you want to find out about autism, ask an autistic. Yeah, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. If you give them the space, though, because, again, finding the voice is really difficult. Yeah. And just uh, if you're somebody who's um, a friend of a family, for example, and you know that their their child or teenager is coming around because there's a family occasion going on, a couple of quick tips. How can you make them feel safe in your environment? Um Never eye roll. <laughs> that sense, you know, when when somebody else's ch child is being a bit demanding and we do a bit of an eye roll. Um, first of all, I would always ring the parent and say, OK, so Sue's coming over, Jane's coming over today. Is there anything I can do to make her feel safe? Um, if that had happened to me, I would have been overwhelmed. I constantly had to second guess whether the parent would be accommodating, understanding, um unintentionally make the, the situation worse for my son by not allowing him to sit on a certain chair or mm. not allowing him to be fussy over his food or not allowing him to withdraw from play when he was playing with the young people that he'd gone to have a play date with. So I think as a parent of a family who's got somebody who's autistic, if you could ring ahead and say, oh, 
anything I can do to make them feel safe. When the child gets there, no big fuss. The child will sense whether you're okay with them very, very quickly. My son sort of chose who he ended up spending time <laughs> with. Having his friends. Because he wouldn't get out of the car if he didn't feel safe with the family. And mm. even some of our best friends, you know, unintentionally, um, you know, we didn't spend so much time with them because they didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. They thought he was disruptive. They thought he was difficult. They didn't want their children to catch bad behaviour. Um, that's really distressing for me, but actually... How distressing must that have been for him? Because yeah. before I knew what I knew about autism, I thought he wasn't noticing the eye rolling and the, oh dear, we won't invite him to the party because he seemed aloof. The young people I work with now tell me they notice everything. Yeah. Every appointment they go to where pe- people are talking about how bad their behaviour's been, oh. it goes in, it goes in, it goes in. And that's a horrible legacy. So when you meet a child with autism, they didn't just arrive with autism that day. No. The autism has been with them. Ever. that way of thinking and I suppose one of my big things is that is autism the problem or is the fact that society doesn't understand autism the problem? Well I'm really hoping that the more people we can get to listen to things like this the easier it will get A. to be autistic and B. to support people with autism whether it's parents teachers friends of people who have autistic all of that it's so important education is is the way forward and I think it's interesting because my relationship with my son now I would say is pretty good and I still give myself permission to be frustrated so if we go for a walk I will tell him which parts of his autism I'm frustrated with and he can help me unravel them or join me on that and say yeah I'm frustrated with that too so rather than having to be the perfect parent which I can tell you I'm definitely not I allow myself to be vulnerable but I voice what my challenges are with his autism rather mm. than act out in a certain way so I won't get cross with him I will say this has made me cross I know it's your autism but can you allow me to be cross because actually if I close down my emotional range from him he's not learning he has to learn that we all have emotional range we all have appropriate ways to express it and not appropriate ways to express it and none of us are perfect nope. and I am allowing him sometimes to be inappropriate and then he checks in with me and we talk about it but I think often as a parent and I meet some autistic pa- sorry parents of autistic kids who are working so hard to be perfect it's not sustainable and then they have the blowout yeah when well, you're you're busy collecting <clears throat> like collecting stamps one at a time and then suddenly the stamps full and you you're cashing in your free coffee aren't you and boy are they going to get it at that point and then of course all the good work you've done yeah it's confusing so if I'm saying to my son I love you unconditionally and we're going to work towards understanding your autism and I then have a day of screaming and shouting which can happen um that kind of makes him even more confused because that's the person who said they were on my side yeah I do think it's about being on their side you are their warrior you are their pioneer And I think the adolescent thing you talked about before is really hard for parents more than the autistic kid because letting them go is terrifying. When I dropped my son at university and looked at the accommodation block and was looking at all the sensory challenges that he might have on a main road, students living next door, he was actually quite excited. I was terrified because I've protected him, you know, wrongly or rightly, from things that I knew would trip switch him, as I call it. And I just thought I'm literally throwing him into the lion's den. But, you know, with his coping strategies and with some support, he's 
taken in there and yeah, um and you want surprising. him to be free Absolutely. you want him to be independent that's so important Absolutely. so you're creating a secure base and yeah. the sooner you can work with your child to go on the journey together that's another thing i say to parents go on the autistic discovery together you know you don't have to be the expert i do say that there's no point working with your child until you've come to terms with the fact that your child is autistic if you're still angry and distressed and despairing which is absolutely normal when your child has any difference or challenge that's not a good state to work with your child because they'll witness it so you've this... got to mourn what you thought you were having yeah. before you can accept but having said that you know going elsewhere for support for that so that you can be as 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 present with them as you can be and curious and laugh about yeah. we laugh about autism a lot yeah we do on some of our training uh, we have a four-week training course for parents. And on the last week, we bring in some glorious young advocates. So we've got a young man who's a magician. We've got another man who writes blogs and is a TV presenter. They're 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. And they come and talk to the parents. And I think that, for a parent of a five-year-old, to hear their journey, which yeah. has been complicated and challenging and distressing, to hear it's still challenging... But to see what they're doing and how they are as young men in the world is really inspiring because it's hard to project forward. Yeah. Because some of the behaviours you see in the children, which are distress calls, you think if I leave that behaviour alone, as in screaming, shouting, defiance, what am I creating? And I always say to them, it passes. Yeah. Leave the behaviour. Contain the child. Obviously, make them feel safe. But, it, you know, as you know, children move through various stages. And if we try and block them or get cross with them or stop it you're stopping their self-expression so we're not creating you know someone said to me but I'm creating a feral child and I said no I, I trust you're not no. I think look, the child is just having an expression just making their way in the world they'll they'll move through the state yeah um, and they'll move through it quicker if you allow allow the behavior so that you can help them manage the emotions yeah. and and you don't need to do that stuff anymore after once once you've got to got and i i was that parent you know at four i thought well i have to parent my child out of this anti-social behavior forgive me for saying that but that's what i said and i said i have the privilege of you know spending you know 20 years of my son and realizing he did he he grew up into a beautiful young man in spite of that <laughs> in spite of me trying to oh. bash some behaviors out of him and actually taught me probably all the things i need to know about autism because yeah. i just watched his autism grow around us and i think if i can encourage any parent to be more trusting now some parents listen to this might be at an acute stage where their child is so distressed that their behaviors have become unmanageable in the home and then you will need some quite high level support mm -hmm. um so where so i'm just going to stop there and ask where would you go as a parent where would you go for that support really tricky because... At the moment because you know there'll be all sorts of things on the internet like you know cures and restraint behavior and horror stories about atu units where kids get medicated and locked into units for you know years your first port of call is your doctor mm. um if you've got a good gp who recognizes this is not just a distressed child or mental illness because actually autism isn't a mental illness autism can lead to mental health because of the confusion and the despair and the ongoing mm. distress the first route is to direct through cams if they're under 16 and then to go to ams obviously which is the adult mental health mm -hmm. support now i'd love to say that they've got the resources to help you 
the individuals are brilliant. The system is not brilliant because, as we know, NHS cuts. So you'd probably get a referral. Then it's a matter of looking at if there can be support through behavioural therapy, Mm -hmm. um, mentoring. um, But the biggest um, form of support is calm space, loads of empathy, and engaging them in pursuits where they feel valued, whether Mm. it be... A lot of time on the internet, you know, looking at interesting things, whether it be working outside, whether it be sport, swimming, whether whatever it be music, it is. and let them lead you. Mm. Because just because they like swimming when they were six doesn't mean to say they still like it. Just because all the family likes bike riding doesn't mean they'll like it. Mm-hmm. So it's actually having to have an individualized program. My son liked opera. I'm not a big fan, but we did quite a lot of opera when he was nine, ten, and eleven. Um, he's moved on now and that's fine musical <laughs> theatre I'm okay with that um, so yeah. it's about finding where they can express themselves Yeah, because I also it. think anger is good yeah. punch bags in the room Absolutely. punching pillows trampolines big noise screaming they, into a pillow screaming into a pillow the sh- you know we used to have the shout room go upstairs and shout yeah. when you finish come down we'd have to talk about it yeah. um, dogs animals Again, I'm not sure whether your house can contain that, but I would say that the families that have a dog would say that that dog has probably prevented quite a lot of um, uh, meltdowns and anger and distress. And also... The thing about pets, isn't it, is that they are quiet listeners. They're just there. They don't ask anything of them. They don't expect anything from you. They're just there. And I think that's the same with all teenagers. I say to parents, parents, excuse the metaphor, could you be a bit more dog? And I say to parents, expect your child to be like a cat. They'll come in, they'll rub up against you when they want something and then probably leave. But actually, the calmer you are, you'll probably have them sitting on your lap for most of the evening rather than expecting. So when... Oh, when you that. when you put out food for the cat and the cat turns its nose up at you, you don't get cross. You just walk away because you know the cat will go back and eat it at some point. Um, when the cat comes in the room, you don't call it over. You just sit still. It, it chooses to sit on your lap. But the minute it wants to go, it goes. Do you get cross with it? No, you don't. It's a cat. It's a cat. And I will tell this story, but I don't know if it'll go on air. But <laughs> I think <laughs> I learned the most about <laughs> managing my son through my dog. There was a time... GCSEs, supporting his kind of school was stressful, bullying, but not overt bullying, you know, being left out. He was really distressed. School mornings were a nightmare. My need to get him into school for a regular pattern was driving me getting him up and getting him into school. And there would be stress every morning. And normally it would result in a meltdown, which is an autistic term for when almost the, the volcanoes erupted, all the senses are firing. And most children will either get very angry or very distressed. My son would get distressed and his favourite place would be under the piano and he'd be rocking and moaning and it would really break my heart to witness it. So I would go in and try and stop it by putting my arm around him, asking him what he wanted, um, fussing him, as he tells me now. And I thought I was doing the right thing. So one day I didn't get there in time and he was under the piano and I walked in and the dog was lying beside him. So I just stood and watched and he was patting the dog, although he was having a meltdown. So he was moaning and rocking and it was quite a repetitive behaviour that I witnessed. And he was patting the dog and the dog got up and went away. And he literally, my son, got up, shook himself down and walked out. This is really interesting. So the next time he was having a bad session, I walked in. I thought, I'm going to be like the dog. And I just sat by him and I put my hand on his knee 
I thought the dog would not be stressed right now. The dog not, would not be saying anything. The dog wouldn't be panting. <laughs> so I literally <laughs> calmed myself down, took my hand off and walked out. And Barney got up and walked out. And I think from that day on, I just try to, and it's difficult because I have a lot of energy <laughs> and I'm very tactile and I'm very expressive just to be more still when he's having one of his difficult, challenging moments. And we've talked about it and he says it really makes a difference. Do you know what? I think that is, it's kind of the perfect place to finish. So kind of your, maybe your parting gift is just be more dog. Literally be more (laughs) More dog. dog. (laughs) Tessa, thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being prepared to share your own personal stories thank you for the fact that you've obviously got an enormous wealth of experience and knowledge in this area Um, and I really really enjoyed chatting to you thank you so that's the end of this team tips podcast Um, I will let you know when the next one's ready but I hope you found this useful and if you know of somebody who you think might benefit from listening please pass it on to them bye